0: This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepi Sayer Australian cultured butter. Batch churned from single origin cream.
1: We're very open with sharing these ideas. It's not about having all the answers. It's about community. But more than ever, I feel like Melbourne, like Hospital say, we could definitely be changing the face of food around the world in this way.
0: Last weekend, I had one of the most extraordinary meals Ever of my life, I think it would be fair to call it life changing. And one of the people behind it was Chef Joe Barrett. The dinner was at Future Food System, a house that grows its own food, and it's at Federation Square. Hopefully for quite a while longer so that more people get to experience it. Joe, I feel like every time I look around, you are doing something new and incredible, something that demonstrates your quiet determination and creativity. Um, Thank you for bringing us Future Food System and so much else.
1: Oh, thanks, Danny. Thanks for coming for dinner and thank you for having me. Um, I didn't expect that intro.
0: (laughs) Well, it's true. It's like I was looking on Instagram last week and you've just suddenly, well, I know it's not sudden, but it appeared suddenly a bread scraper or bread knife, whatever you call those things that help you move (laughs) the dough, dough around, and it just seems like, you know, you, you it, as you said in that um, Instagram post, it was like I wanted it. It didn't exist. I I decided to make it, and then you've made it made something that looks so beautiful, so crafted, and so like ethical, and it's local. And I don't know. It's just um, yeah. It's I just think yeah, you just seem to be creating so many things all the time.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I feel like I'm surrounded by really incredible people, and when you are surrounded with people like that, you see opportunities to work and collaborate. And I think that's what I like about this industry. There's just such creative people and a lot of inspiration coming from, like I find I get a lot of inspiration from feeding off other people's energies and yeah, I met Matt from MD knives and that's how that collaboration happened. But you know, that was through lockdown working at Falco bakery um, when Oak Ridge was shut. So I saw everyone working with these dough knives and having a baking background. It is really hard to find a beautifully made artisan piece of equipment for a bakery. You know, it is such a romantic thing making bread, but there was no kind of tool that was made in Australia. It's always European or American. And I was like, oh, you know, bakers need a tool just like a chef has a beautiful chef's knife that they treasure. Why can't bakers have that? So, you know, that just kind of came from that idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well I mean it's I think yeah, what that shows is that you just ask really good questions and um yeah, then you answer them with action. And then yeah, good things come as a result. Um so yeah, I mean you went into the pandemic as the co head chef at Oak Ridge with your partner Matt Stone, and you've sort of come out the other side. Um if indeed we are out the other side, but it kind of feels like it at the moment in Melbourne. Um, You've come out the other side living in Federation Square in a house that you've constructed alongside Yoast Bakar. Can you tell us about Future Food System?
1: Yeah, so Future Food System, uh, I guess we've been working on the idea for the last five years with Yoast, and it's a fifth iteration of the greenhouse projects which Matt and Yoast have done in the past this is kind of the idea that it will all sparked from. So it's a house that produces all its own food and all its own power. It still has the underlying values of being zero waste, which, you know, Yoast would never do something that was wasteful. And then five years ago, we started chatting and Yoast said, oh, look, I want to build this house. You know, I can see that the food system is really broken. And I definitely feel that as well, being in kitchens and that whole idea of questioning where things come from maybe that's just in my nature to question a little bit and when he said look I want to build this house and it's going to produce its own food and power and you know include um a lot around ecosystems so the fact that we would be living in an ecosystem it relied on us and we relied on it it really made sense to me and something that I wanted to be a part of and could I could see the value and how that could help a lot of people and You know, the things that I was questioning, this house kind of had the answers for and was really positive rather than being all negative and talking about the problems within, you know, hospitality or hospitality and the food system. So we started um, with the idea, sorry, being in Callista out in the Mount Dandenong Ranges. And we had a heap of problems with the property where we were going to put this house. Just um, Yost and Jenny had purchased the property, but it was an old petrol station. And we were going to live in the house, still work at Oak Ridge and show that you could have a full-time job, but still live in a place like this that was growing food, had aquaponic systems and mushroom walls. And then we just kept getting hitting hurdles and each hurdle, you know, was getting harder and harder and then Fed Square offered to put this idea in the middle of Federation Square, where Yost had 12 years ago done his first greenhouse project. And then Yost was like, how do you feel about living in Fed Square? (laughs) And
0: (laughs) we were like, oh. No one (laughs) was ever asked that question ever before. And
1: I'm not sure at the time if Matt and I really comprehended what that meant. And we were like, yeah, sure, that's easy. (laughs) And then the time... Grew closer and closer, and then it actually became reality that this was going to happen. And then uh, I guess the pandemic hit, and the whole concept grew a lot bigger than just living in a house and working. It was like, well, we're in such a public space, we should really open it up to people to see. And you know, COVID really showed how people wanted to connect back to where they were living, and it kind of Ended up being the right time to do something like this. People were interested, engaging, and yeah, that's how we came to where we are now, I guess, where we're living and cooking dinners. And we left Oak Ridge to do a project that's a bit bigger than we expected.
0: Yeah, wow, it is a massive project. Um, so we came for dinner on Saturday night, and was it fourteen people that you have at a time?
1: yeah, fourteen
0: yeah, and so it's it feels like a dinner party uh people are sort of there's a table at one end, a table at the other, and we were sitting up at the bench. there are a couple of people at the other end of the bench, and it's very much like being in a in a domestic kitchen it's a lovely space, but it does have this like craziness if you look over there and there's crowds spilling out of the MCG to you know walking up to the station after a game of footy there's the river there's Federation Square so it it's um it's this strange combination of domestic and uh, absolutely I guess urban and and on show um, although interestingly no one seemed to be looking up at the house because you are if you they could see but they didn't seem to want to um, but yeah I mean What is it like to be living this life?
1: Um, It's really interesting because I feel like now the house just blends in with the natural habitat. And it's probably the perfect representation of what is possible in an urban environment and how easily it can just slide into the city. You know, I think if we had have done the original idea in Callista, people would have gone, oh, yeah, I can see that works because you're out there. But because it's such a juxtaposition of this house that's covered in greenery next to Deacon Edge and next to a river, when you look at it from afar, it looks like it's always been there. And I feel like that's why people walk past and go, oh, yeah, um, living inside, you forget. I think so I came on site in November, we started building uh, in start of August, and you know, was part of the construction phase, which was one of the best experiences because when else can a chef just walk onto a construction site and get to see how all the systems were placed in, how it was built and realise the depth of detail and knowledge that Yoast, you know, it's just life's work pretty much in this building and how there's just no compromise and how difficult doing something like this is when, you know, you're pioneering an idea like this, especially within... Construction, you know, we focus a lot on the problems that are in food, but I can see that they're in every industry with around waste and people working with kind of toxic materials. When you take them out, how enlightened people feel. Like these builders were so excited to be working on a project like that, even though there were plenty of challenges. And being there in that phase I think really helped when we started getting people through because – I think if I had just walked into the house and started being there in such a public area, it would have been quite a shock. Whereas I kind of eased my way into being in such a public area and now – it doesn't bother me at all. Well, the funniest thing is just listening to people saying, what is it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because you it, it opened or you moved in also as Melbourne was sort of coming back to life as well. I mean, if when you were there uh, building through lockdown, it would have been completely different around Federation Square and that central part of the city.
1: Yeah, I feel like I've found a new love for Melbourne. I'm not sure if it's because we've all just been through that craziness, but also just how people utilize public spaces and seeing, like feeling a lot of joy to see people back, you know, going to the football or, you know, at the moment people playing mini golf and just how, yeah, their public spaces do bring people together. And I'm happy to see people around, not like, oh, crap, there's people in my backyard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same. I just love seeing just really simple things like kids on swings and, you know, like people having picnics, like the things that we couldn't do. It is so joyful to, to see people just being normal and um, I think everyone has that feeling of greater appreciation for things. Yeah. Um, so how has it made you feel like doing things so differently and in such an integrated way where work and life is sort of really interwoven? How does it make you feel about the hospitality industry and the restaurant world um, that's out there?
1: Uh, I, feel, I feel like hospitality people do spend a majority of their time at work so their workplace does become a home to them. You know this you know it's been so demanding the, I guess I don't take for granted just the minor details that you have when you work as a team, you know, you got your front of house and polishing glasses and cutlery and before, you know, everyone's assigned to their job, but when you're, you're living there and you do everything, it's a, a huge amount of work. So I guess I really value all the minor details that go into hospitality and producing a food offering that has been a really interesting learning curve. Um, I guess moving forward in hospitality, there's definitely things that I would question even more just around the way that I cook, you know, I have always been produce driven, but now more than ever, I guess, questioning where some like how we design our menus and having the courage to change it and not just go with the normal. I think that is a really big, big change for me and questioning, you know, do we need sugar or that amount of sugar and, Maybe it's detrimental to the way we taste things and we could be cooking differently and maybe it would enhance the food even more um, by not adding sugar or cutting back on wheat. Uh, Yeah, I guess not always resulting like going back to things that we know are crowd pleasing and happy, like just pushing ourselves to try something different that's still really delicious and crowd pleasing, but might come from a more ethical or better place
0: yeah I uh, just do you feel like uh, I mean just you've, you've really built a different machine for feeding people with with what you've done there. I mean, do you feel like the, the existing machinery of dining can incorporate those kinds of changes, or do you feel like it all needs to be like torn down and, and rebuilt?
1: No, I, I think we can definitely I actually think we could do better. this experience like we're in a domestic kitchen it's so inefficient to be cooking for 14 people like that Um, and like it really is it's that is quite frustrating it's like oh imagine what we could do if we were just prepping and doing this food and maybe before i was a bit lazy with that um not like i still cook making everything but maybe lazy in my thinking and not challenging myself and that I could be doing even better things if I went back to having this mentality and having the convenience of a large cool room, kitchen space and things like that. So I feel like, yes, it is it maybe an excuse that we've, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm getting that across properly, but it, you could definitely do it in the hospitality seen, like in a commercial kitchen, 100% we could be doing this. Well, if we're doing it in a domestic kitchen, that's very frustrating, but also very inspiring. You could definitely be doing it easily in a commercial kitchen.
0: So you mentioned, you know, thinking about ingredients such as flour or sugar and perhaps cutting them back. I mean, I know that you've you've got no dairy at all in the menu at the moment, do you? No, no. So that's that's super challenging. I mean, what, what else apart from thinking about the kinds of ingredients or the menus that you build, what other kinds of things do you think are open for any restaurants to, to start rethinking right now?
1: I think seafood is a big one, especially with all the documentaries that are coming out about seafood and farmed seafood. Um, I guess what we do at Future Food System is only cook with what could be grown in an urban environment, so we're stuck with those restrictions so we don't have a cow so we're not using any dairy. Um, I think on a large scale, we could question, you know, obviously the ocean is being fished very heavily, but then we know that people probably won't stop eating fish. So we've got aquaponics systems where at the start, you know, aquaponics systems where you have a fish tank on the bottom and then a grow bed on top where you grow shallow rooted vegetables and the water from the fish tank gets pumped onto the grow bed and then that water drops back down for the fish. So it's a kind of a closed loop. And at the start, it was like, well, let's utilize the fish and show that you could be growing fish in a sustainably farmed way. And it's delicious and it's really versatile fish, like barramundi or trout, things like that, or yabbies. Um, like that is an option. But now I guess that you're in it and you're growing these things, it's probably become more about the grow bed. As well, so having the courage to either step away from seafood and design a menu differently, or uh, just maybe use a bit less and make it as delicious that people don't feel like they're missing out. And I feel like that's the key: is that you you can eat like this and feel like you're still getting value. Still, uh, really nourishing and delicious, but you can also feel good that it comes from a good place.
0: So, in that sense, the fish are sort of like you know part of your farming system, but they're not—they're not there as a food.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, at the start, they were designed to be the food, <laughs> but then when you're there caring for them, I guess you realize how long it takes for a fish to grow, and that is where the disconnect has happened. I feel like if you can keep ordering from a supplier over and over and over and get the same. Thing every time you'll keep doing that, but if you actually realized, you know, how hard it is for a fish to grow, how, how long it takes, and then you just take it out, and it's going to take, you know, three years for that fish to get back to that size, maybe you'd care or utilize it in a different way.
0: Mm. It's, you know, I sort of think about it from as a customer, like obviously, you know, someone that's coming to Future Food System has is interested in what you're doing and they're willing to go on that journey. Well, I assume I was, it was like, whatever you wanted to feed me, I was into <laughs> um, but so many people go out for dinner with preconceived ideas about what they're going to have. And, you know, let's, well, that's why people do have those safe menus. You know, they, I don't know, they have the salmon, they have the pork belly, they have the chocolate dessert, whatever it is, you know, whatever, you know, different, different um, key dishes in, in all different cuisines and types of restaurants. I mean, how do you break that down? How do you get people to um, put more trust in a restaurant that wants to do things differently?
1: Um, uh, I don't know. I think it has to do with, I mean, making things delicious. I think it comes from every, there is a big movement around questioning where things come from. So if you know that that product is coming from a good place, then, you've already got that trust of, well, I know, you know, that duck comes from great ocean road ducks and it's farmed really well. I know that that's a tasty duck, but look what this chef is doing. They're creative. So I've got trust in that product. So they're probably going to do that justice because of the cost behind, you know, not going to be wasted. So I think that produce, like it always comes back, seems to come back to how things are grown and where it's coming from. And then I think the, demand is already there from like the guests that are coming to the restaurant they are uh, they're getting more savvy so I feel like it's now maybe on the chefs to you know trust in themselves that people I want to they want something different you know and to trust your that you're representing something it doesn't have to, it could just be a community restaurant but you're cooking for your community so cook food for them
0: yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Like I feel like people definitely are considering all kinds of things more closely because, you know, we've all gone through this extraordinary experience of the pandemic where it is a time where you realise that things can be absolutely different. Um, You know, the old normal doesn't have to be the new normal. So it's definitely a time that people are willing to ask questions. Um yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just amazing to see such a striking example of things being done absolutely differently. Um, and I mean, we were chatting last week and you you said that when people ask you what's next, you find that a little bit of an odd question right now. Can you talk about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess after five years of, um, you know, a lot of energy and focus going into this project and then it finally happens Uh, I think thinking about the next thing takes away focus from what we're doing and you know you always look to the next thing but living in the moment is actually really quite rewarding and enjoying the highs and lows of a project like this so just really day-to-day living in it um, and doing it is quite like releasing it's I love the the pressure of not worrying about the next thing, even though, you know, you run a business and you constantly have to look ahead. It's actually really like quite, I find a lot of enjoyment from just being in the moment and things can change so quickly. You know, last year we just all got shut down and that might happen again. So if you keep planning, it might, it would just change. You just have no idea anymore. So it's been a really great lesson to yeah, enjoy what we're doing
0: uh, Mm. at the time. I think, you know, also when you're living in a closed loop system, I mean, that must also have something to do with being present, I I imagine, you know, when if you if you see things grow and you see, you know, the waste from one thing turns into the growth of another. I mean, it's. It, it sort of unpicks that whole idea of progress, which we've really all become embedded in as humans, you know, over I guess since the Industrial Revolution, where it's it, things aren't just run on these cycles. There's always this thing that we're supposed to be marching towards. But um, when you get more connected to the cycles of growth, then, yeah, like um,
1: where are we actually trying to go? Yeah, well, it's, it's funny because it seems so simple, like growing food. Like it it is really quite a simple concept but it depends how far you want to take it and look into it and even though it's something that's been done forever it still happens all the time You, I start doing like research and it just goes further and further so I feel like things are opening up even though it started off with something so small and I thought was the kind of the end of the line but then you open it up and you realize it's all connected and yeah, there's just so much to learn around something so basic, which is what I'm enjoying and I think I, I love the learning side of this and I'm probably more interested in how can I expand my knowledge rather than how could I cook for more people. i feel a little bit self-centred, just wanting to expand and be interested and live in the moment, but rather than, oh, yeah, I could cook at this restaurant and cook for this many people and create these dishes. It's more about what I could be learning for myself and for my future in just growing food or cooking interesting dishes. It's a really nice place to be, not having that pressure of, like, the career pressure, I guess, that people feel.
0: Mm. Yeah, which is so interesting because, you know, if you look at it from the outside, this could also be seen as, like, you know, an amazing high point in someone's career when they're doing something that's so public and so on, so on show and so revolutionary. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting, I guess, balance. Um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's a weird point to be at. <laughs> This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepi Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. Like any good product, you have to start off with, with an amazing cream like for us it's the, the
1: the raw material that matters so where we get our cream from matters a lot uh, so we can't just buy your average supermarket grade cream so you need real cream you need basically the stuff they skim off the top of milk at a farm and to get that product we, we have to go to the farmers direct so for us we, we have to source our cream very carefully we travel a lot to different farms
0: to make sure that the cream we're getting is the real deal from different areas of Australia. For more information go to au. What's something that you're really geeking out about at the moment whether it's an ingredient or a method or something that you're growing?
1: Uh, it, this is super weird uh, but the mushroom wall so we have a mushroom wall that sits in front of a bathroom which you would have seen where all the steam and fresh air from the shower and the bathroom kind of funnels through into a mushroom and there's 48 or 49 mushroom buckets growing seven different varieties of mushrooms and that kind of started off okay well I I knew a little bit about mycelium and mushrooms but I started reading about how they work with growing food and what they produce and now so they produce carbon dioxide which help plants grow and now I've started looking into what you can use carbon dioxide for within growing algae and because um, we have fish and we want to create their fish food um, through waste products. So now we're looking at growing our own algae for our fish from the carbon dioxide from the mushroom wall. And now I'm stuck just really geeking out about domestically growing algae, which I always thought was a bad thing about algae blooms and, you know, nutrient mm. dense water and how bad that is for life. But there's also you know, algae was the first form of life on the planet, which came from the water. So now I'm getting into, like, rocks and things that happened under the earth billions of years ago. So I never expected from going from mushrooms from a culinary side of things to now looking at, like, geology and algae.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, it's so – I love it. I mean, it really we, it really is all connected, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, the more that I read, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Like, why would we be doing that? You know, like, why do we keep mining fuels? They are all of the fossils from not dinosaurs, but algae. Like, it's just really interesting that side of that. <laughs>
0: um, there's something else that you've that you've done which amazed me, and it seems very far away from what you're doing now. But if I said to you, two meter tall emu um (laughs) (laughs) what would you tell me about
1: yeah it's really funny you say that because uh, i was actually going to be part of the australian pastry team again this year and today it's just been delayed to 23 uh 2023 so yeah two years ago i competed in the world championship of pastry um making a two meter tall edible emu from sugar And to now be not even using sugar at all seems quite weird. Um, But again, it comes down to that, like, learning new skills and knowledge, and that's where that all came from, and just loving history. So, you know, the history behind pastillage and hot sugar work and chocolate work – yeah, it's just very different to what I'm doing now. But it's still I guess similar because it's creative and it's arty and a bit different.
0: Well yeah, and it's also uh, it's also big, like it's also like taking on a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why I keep doing this, but I do really enjoy it. Like I loved as hard as that experience was at the time, like working at Oak Ridge and training for an international pastry competition was very time-consuming and throwing, like, your whole energy into it. I learnt so much and met some incredible people and got to travel and, yeah, that was an incredible experience. I love dressing up in a big tall hat and, you know, white uniform and following the traditions of where cooking came from and how that works internationally. Um, Doesn't mean I completely believe in some of like it's a very wasteful thing to do like the amount of packaging and amount of sugar and it is a whole different side but I feel like what we did we took a lot of ingredients that weren't traditionally used in those competitions and brought them to a whole different arena and people still talk about the desserts that we made with ants on them they still talk about the emu because when you have a fresh view on things and then you go and do something like that they are they do stand out like, I realized when I got there and saw the other sugar sculptures that, oh, wow, that's not how you make them. Like, an emu standing on one leg is not a normal thing to do in a sugar competition.
0: <laughs> so, what are the normal things? Is it, like, more floral type things or, or is it – what is it? It's,
1: it's definitely engineering. So, you start off with the biggest thing on the bottom and then build up to something smaller so it's stable and then oh. – I definitely had like a rod of sugar with a bigger sugar sitting on top. <laughs> so I I feel like people were looking at it going, yeah, that's not how you do it. And that could fall over. However, they still talk about it now. Like our coach rang me and the, they asked, oh, is the EMU coming back? So I feel like we definitely, oh, we didn't come first, but we, Australia, like the Australian team definitely put, um, like it made an impact on something like that. Which was really exciting because it is breaking the normal and the tradition, and that's what we're doing at the house. Is like you can you don't have to do the, the normal or the traditional. You can fit in with what's acceptable, but do it in a different way.
0: Mm. Yes, actually, that's so empowering, isn't it? I suppose it goes back to your answer about you know, do we need to tear it down and start again? No, we don't. We just start where we are, and it's just yeah, yeah, that's very. Um, yeah, it's very inspiring, and I suppose the feeling I got being at the house was was so it was it's I can't imagine anyone not being inspired to take take something from there. I was like, oh, we've got coffee grounds, we could grow mushrooms. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it just I suppose it's you know, got to you got to start from where you are, and you you can't feel overwhelmed by all the things that need to change. It's just about yeah, just just doing it.
1: Yeah, and people do come in and go. Oh well I couldn't do all of this but we're not that's not the idea it's that look it's possible to do all this in one place but you could do one of these things in your own life and feel just as much joy as we're feeling doing it all it's this is a, meant to be quite an overwhelming thing it's meant to empower people to go well oh, look what is possible and they would have better ideas than what we have and we do get guests going, oh, well, it's okay for you because you've got this house, but how could I do it? And then, especially within hospitality, they're like, okay, you're only feeding 14 people, but how realistically can a restaurant do it? Which I love because they're things that we were also doing at Oak Ridge before that I realise now, like sometimes when I was at Oak Ridge, I'm like, oh, we could be doing so much better with our impact. But I look back now and I think, wow, we actually did a really great job on a large scale. But we're feeding a lot of people and we didn't use any chemicals because we had an e-water system and we got rid of cling wrap and we got rid of, you know, chucks cloths. We were composting and recycling and utilising a garden and, you know, decantering our own milk. You know, the things that you could do on a large scale that are cost effective, you know, we probably saved twenty five to $35,000 on chemicals by putting in an e-water system and, you know then we had no chemicals around our food that's something that a hospitality venue could do and save on bottles save on time save on ordering just one simple machine that runs on salt water so i love that we actually have things like examples that you could do on a larger scale that are both financially beneficial but also beneficial for the environment and for the people working there
0: Absolutely. It's, so e-water, is it there's some kind of electrical charge that goes through the water that makes it, um, uh, what's the word, like disinfects things?
1: It's, um, yeah, it's uh, reverse osmosis. So it's a salt brine that gets electrically charged and it splits like a um, filtering a pool, swimming pool. So one comes out as a cleaner, cleaning solution, and one comes out as a sanitizer. But it's the same salt water brine, and then like mains water or tank water, depending on what you're on, and then you clean down with the cleaner, and then you spray over a sanitizer. And it's also recognised by Melbourne City Council, like as a council thing. So you can have it on your food safety as your sanitizer. Um, you know that that's epic. Even that the council are recognising that and. Um, it's a unit that sits onto the wall, doesn't take up much space. It's really simple to use. You can test it through pH levels, and that's it. Like it, it really is that simple.
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds like magic, but I've seen it used in at Vudamon. They've got it, and um, yeah, like it's it, it's it works, and it is as you say something that that a lot of businesses could take on. Um, jo, you don't only empower hospitality businesses, you also empower home cooks. Tell us about the Have A Go series.
1: Yeah, Have A Go came from um, when we started lockdown. I had been thinking about writing a cookbook. Uh, well, it was before lockdown, really, and Jana Longhorse, um I wanted her to do the photography and um, we thought, well, we got lockdown so maybe we should start this cookbook. But then I wasn't sure if the cookbook I was wanting to write was Kind of purely ego, and I wanted it to be really beautiful, or if I wanted it to be actually a functional book, like quite technical, which was hard because I do a lot of cheese making and you know my cooking is kind of quite technical, but then to portray that in a cookbook is huge, a huge amount of work. And I actually love food as art, so I was t- kind of torn and didn't know what I wanted to do and was back and forth with Yana. And then she said, Why don't we just do a little magazine? and I didn't quite get what she meant, but then kind of went away. And actually it's a year to go, a year ago today that we started Have A Go. Hey, So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> congratulations.
1: Yeah, pretty exciting. So we decided, all right, the first one we'll shoot is Brie. So it's a magazine that is one recipe per magazine that breaks down an artisan style cooking, like quite a technical thing with really simple instruction, but the photography is beautiful and you can get your information a lot from like textures in the pictures that kind of guides you along with very basic uh, instruction. So we have done cheese making, sourdough, um, uh, croissants, and then we have quite a few that we're hoping to release shortly around sausage making and salami and other baked goods that you can, yeah, purchase one at a time and just digest one thing. Um And it could be for young chefs or for home cooks. It's just, yeah, really focusing on something that can be hard to get into, that you can go onto the internet and it's really overwhelming to go, how do I make feta? And then a million things pop up when all you actually need is a basic instruction to get your kind of foot in the door and to have a result. So that's what we've set out with Have A Go, that you could try, get a result, and then go and do further reading from there.
0: Mm. I mean, even the name of it is just so, it's just like, yeah, like I don't need to be scared of making feta. I can just have a go. It's, um, yeah, it's re- it's really great. Although I have to say I bought like three of the books, but I haven't actually made anything yet. Um, So now I'm embarrassed that I, um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed, but they're there waiting for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's like, they're also just beautiful. Like Yana is an incredible photographer who I feel like we work so well together because her, uh, photography style is very similar to my food style it's just really natural and it is what it is and she doesn't like we don't repeat things we just shoot as we go and it's just what happens and yeah I really like that concept of I there's this whole thing around being perfect all the time you know with social media and it's okay to fail and I think that's part of have a go is like just try doesn't matter if it fails you can try again you don't have to get it right, and it's just a way to get started.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like permission to just tackle something new. It's really, it's really great. I love it. I keep, I think, yeah, I just keep wanting to use words like emp- empowering and inspiring, and yeah, it's it's great. Um, Joe, is there anything else that you would like to say? Uh, well, thanks
1: for coming for dinner, and thank you for. Yeah, sometimes these things are really out of the box, and. Um, seem like unachievable but then through food media and through people talking about it and aren't scared to talk about something different we can get the word out so thank you for believing in it like like it's people like you and cam smith who are yeah talking about these ideas and in a really positive way that are are achievable for people and i i think definitely in melbourne we could make a movement around a future food system that is sustainable and we could help each other that are beneficial for our businesses but also for people coming to dine like you know we've been through a lot and um yeah I feel like Melbourne could definitely come back as not just a food destination but a, like, a sustainable food destination doing things really differently
0: yeah like let's do yeah. it like yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> work together like we seriously just went through that all together and we everyone was talking and I I don't, like, we're very open with sharing these ideas. It's not about having all the answers. It's about community. But more than ever, I feel like Melbourne, like, Hospice, say we could definitely be changing the face of food around the world in this way.
0: Yeah, we sure can. Um, Joe, thanks for being the change. It's, uh, yeah, really exciting. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to get some mushrooms and some coffee grounds happening and I'm going to get out my feta book and and just... (laughs) just gonna do it um been so great to have you on dirty linen for a chat really appreciate it and um yeah everyone who hasn't checked out future food system whether it's in person or online because there's lots of great content please do check it out thanks joe so great to talk to you
1: thanks danny thank you
0: this is dirty linen and i'm danny Valant. we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about we spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
1: Fish.